Welcome to Everyday Therapist. I'm Rich from the UK. And I'm Cody from the United States. Before we jump in, we just want to say that this podcast does not constitute therapeutic advice. <laughs> so we're, we're, rec- we're recording now. <laughs> okay. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello. Disaster recording ahead. Yeah. So we, we for, the, for those listening, we just had, um, I don't know, about an hour and a half, a uh, really good interview with, with John Paul Davies. Uh, but both Rich and I are nervous that we... we we started the day off with some technical difficulties and it kind of mm. felt like they just continued and, and we're not sure that it recorded. <laughs> I'll be gutted if it hasn't recorded. I don't know. I don't know how you deal with this, really. I, I'll feel bad letting letting him know. But hopefully, if you're listening to this, it worked. And so so then there's another problem, which was, it was all kind of delayed and, and everything at the beginning, but it seemed to sort itself out over time, I suspect. Um, which anyone who's listening to this is probably not interested at all in any of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny because nobody's interested, but at the same time, um, this is what I want to bring to the podcast. That's weird, right? But the 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 idea that things aren't perfect, the idea that things are going to get screwed up, like mm. it's it, it's it's and it's okay, right? And it's totally fine because again, we're human, and here we are. We're not professionals, and we're just making this up as we go. Yeah. But you know what's funny about that is um, you and I were talking this week, and as as we get better and better, and, and as we get deeper into this, we both want this to be a good podcast. We want people to listen. We want it to be a good quality. And for a minute there, I felt like at least I was getting kind of wrapped up in the anxiety and stress of of perfectionism and making sure that mm-hmm. everything was perfect. And then I had this bit of a realization. It was like that's not why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this to be a professional. I'm not doing this to to impress anybody i'm doing this for fun and because it's exciting and it's learning for me and it's just it's just something fun and and enjoyable to do yeah and that really relaxed me um and then this recording is going to fully test that new mindset (laughs) (laughs) i know i know it's 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 a funny one isn't it it's just um i don't know i think the thing is we really appreciate any any people coming on and, and talking to us and podcast aside and and all that it's just you know you want to have a decent conversation with somebody you really want to hear what they're saying and you want to connect with them and and when you have i mean we should remember that you're in the us uh john paul was down in london today i'm up in manchester so the power of technology you know it's it's actually quite incredible but of yeah. course we perhaps we're expecting a little bit too much of it and you um yeah you can easily get um, I, I suppose you take it for granted, don't you? When things start going wrong, you start banging your head against the desk going, why or oh, why? Um, but yeah, fingers crossed, there will be something in there. Yeah, I think one of the hard things for me is you and I go through so much effort to to find somebody to come on the podcast, to preparing interview questions, to doing a little bit of research on the background of them so we know what to talk about, to setting up a schedule that works for three of us in massively different time zones and then we all it all comes together and we have no idea if it worked or not <laughs> no i know i know yeah. fingers crossed as i say if you're listening to this it's all happened yeah yeah and and so uh, just a just a quick recap um john paul it was an attorney a lawyer um south of london i think he said he did some work in london and a few years back um I'm actually a little bit unclear on exactly when, somewhere between five and 10 years ago. 
I think um, it was more like 10 to 15 years ago. Actually. 10 to 15. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 10 to 15 years ago, made a, a career change and became a, a therapist. Um, and so we talked to him about what that was like for him and uh, what that's like for people in general, um, as well as some other really fascinating topics around being a therapist and um, stuff he's doing on YouTube and all, all sorts of stuff. What, what was your thoughts on, on the conversation, Rich? Yeah, I thought it was really useful. And we, we kind of concentrate on transitioning from one career into a career in therapy. But really, there's way, you know, you, you could apply it to anything. So if you're out there listening to this, and you're, you're stuck in your career or job, um, and you're thinking of making the leap, I think there was lots of useful information in there from from John Paul. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought it was really useful. It, like I say, it did concentrate on becoming a therapist at the beginning, but I think there was a broader point to it, which, um, which you brought up later on, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it as, as well. Um, honestly, he seems like a brilliant guy. He seems like he, he really has some really great knowledge and he's, he's down to earth. And like you said, very positive. And it was, it was, it was kind of a joy to talk to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. All right. Well, um, if you're listening to this, uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, before we jump to the interview, I, I don't think we've said this for a little while, but I, I would like to, if you know of anybody that you would love to, to listen to on the podcast, um, please send them our way. If you're interested in coming on the podcast and sharing your own mental health journey, please uh, you know, reach out to us. You can email us at everydaytherapistpodcast at gmail.com or you can go over to our Substack, uh, Everyday Therapist Podcast uh, Substack and comment on any of the posts on there. Um, again, if you have any suggestions for people you would love to come on, or if you would like to come on yourself, we'd definitely love to hear from you. So, um, but with that being said, um, hopefully we get to send this, uh, send this out and enjoy the interview with uh, John Paul. I just want to compliment you first, John Paul, that you've had a nice haircut. And Thank you very much. You noticed. Know you, look, you look like you've just got back from a nice holiday or something. <laughs> very dashing. I have just got back from a nice haircut. Really? Yeah, this afternoon. Yeah. Oh, cool. You look very relaxed and uh, more awake than me. I was just saying to Cody, I've just, I've just eaten my dinner, so I'm feeling like a, yeah. a, a nice nap now. Mm-hmm. I was speaking to somebody on Friday, actually, who was about your podcast well our podcast oh yeah uh yeah how much they uh there's somebody who wants to change career and i was doing a sort of coaching session with them and he said he'd watched yours the uh the night before and found it really helpful yeah good mm-hmm. that's good i've watched it back a couple of times myself and it's it's not just because i'm a narcissist it's because <laughs> i uh i've actually found it really useful yeah. listening <laughs> <laughs> listening back and hearing what your comments are about some of the stuff that I was was going on about it's actually it's been really useful for me so yeah no thanks for having me on that used it as a bit of a therapy session afterwards yeah yes, that's the thing I'm yes, sort of indeed. not uh, yeah that that not becoming something like that but yeah yeah no it's useful um right Cody I'll let you uh, I'll let you uh, do proceedings yeah, yeah, perfect, John. It's uh, it's good to meet you. And and just to be clear for me, do you go by John Paul? Uh, John Paul is good. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, um, John Paul, it's it's good to meet you. Thanks for thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to to talk to you and, and have you on the podcast. 
Um, obviously, this is our first time meeting, and I know that you and Rich did a uh, a podcast on on your on your YouTube channel uh, just maybe last week or so. And so, um, for our guest, would you mind just telling us a, l- a little bit about yourself and and who you are? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm um, in full time private practice as a psychotherapist counselor. I also do some coaching at the moment as well. Uh, yeah, full-time private practice. I'm in Cobham in Surrey, uh, sort of south of England. Um, I see lots of clients face-to-face. Locally, I work from home, have a therapy room at home. And also, of course, a lot of people online now, some people internationally as well. Uh, so as well as the private practice, which I sort of see between 20, 25 clients a week, I also do some media work now as well. So contribute to uh, some newspaper articles, uh, go on to podcasts, that kind of thing too. And um, I have also recently, because of the YouTube channel, an element of that is about career change and uh, people coming into the career, becoming a therapist, because there isn't that much guidance out there for people at the moment. Uh, so I, uh, leading on from that, I also do some coaching for people coming into the uh, the career sort of changing career and what that's like and um, yes and also of course record videos uh, for the YouTube channel and then take the audios and put that on a podcast as well so so lots going on yeah 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 I love that you are um, jumping in to help people in that transition um, because that's it's a big transition and it's a I know that it's a growing field out out there and um maybe not a lot of, of guidance or, or support for people who are, are just starting out trying to figure out things. So I love that you're you're taking that on and, and trying to help people go that direction. Yeah, somebody was saying to me that there's a, a, a well, the person I was speaking to, there's a gap in the market, so to speak. And I was, you know, thinking about why that might be. But I, I think that maybe in terms of the past for people coming into therapy, it wasn't necessarily a big career change that they were going through. Some people may not have been working, perhaps, and started it as a career. So perhaps the career change idea is relatively recent. I also think definitely a lot of the therapists that I know wouldn't be near YouTube or podcasts. or So somebody recording it on a YouTube channel would be, I guess, relatively new in terms of therapists. Uh, You know, there are some therapists that won't be on social media at all. So, uh, But it is interesting that there's not... um, there's not a lot out there. And I think it can be difficult because kind of roots in counseling, is it coaching? Is it psychology, psychotherapy? Do you do a level one, level two, level three, foundation, diploma, masters? And then internationally, what happens? It's um, I can see why people are looking for some sort of clarification or guidance or just listening to other people's stories, actually. Yeah, this is this was one of the biggest things for me actually. When when I first started looking into it, there was just I was going to say a minefield of information. It, it was just really all over the place. It was difficult to really understand what you needed to to do to be a counselor, and then it was difficult to know what counselor actually meant or psychotherapist. Yeah. Um, that that opened up a load of questions. Me and Cody have, have talked about this on the podcast before. The difference between counsellor and psychotherapist and and the differences between the UK and the US and obviously we live in a global world now so sort of these these things are important um so it's it's there's just almost it's very very difficult to to work out exactly the best path to take 
Yeah, completely. Yeah, and because there are different paths as well, it, it is it is hard. Um, yeah, so so it's just doing, and I could see that from putting material out there on YouTube as well. The number of people that contact really from all over the world actually, uh, uh, yeah, looking for that kind of guidance. And sometimes it's just listening to somebody else's story, isn't it? Um, there aren't that many people, I suppose. It might be quite an unusual career change in some ways. Um, I hear a lot of men contact about it, so perhaps it's an, an unusual career change for men or has been so. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been great. What's happened with it? So just to take things back a little general, bit for our listeners. So oh, sorry, sorry. I think we've got a little bit of a delay on the line. Actually, sorry, Cody, you go ahead. Yeah, no, I I, I think we I think we might have a delay as well. But um, John, I I was curious um, about your path because my understanding is that this was a career change for you and that you were. Um, an attorney or a lawyer, and then that that you made made the switch, and, and I'm I'm curious about about that path for you, and and what made you go down that path, and and how was that change? Yeah, so gosh, when was it? I mean, I started training in 2007, so I, I yes, I was a lawyer in the city of London, uh, worked between a couple of big city law firms, and then. Uh, I, I suppose I have talked about it on another, on another video that it was really wanting to go towards. I was in therapy and, and getting the benefits of that. Um, also, when I think about my career, I guess I was always tending to, in some ways, go towards more relationship with people. When it was in the law, I tended to drift a bit or, or want to go a bit more towards client relationships, doing the training for trainees, that kind of thing. So I think that was always there, combining a more sort of corporate or business environment with relationships and people. Um, so that was always around, definitely, and my own experience of therapy being helpful drew me to it. And then, of course, there would have been at the time that being a, a, a solicitor wasn't all, it, all it, a career could have been for me. And I was experiencing, uh, I guess as you might say, emotional symptoms as a result of that at the time, which was the reason really for being in therapy. Uh, you know, externally, life-wise, my daughter had been born about that time. And, um, uh, I, you know, I tell a, well, not a story, but that I, we would receive, I was a project finance solicitor, and we would receive uh, instructions at 5 p.m. On, on a Friday when everybody else had done what they needed to do. And then I'd be told to deliver the document on Monday so that everybody could look at it when they came back in on Monday, which, of course, meant... They had their weekends. It's just life, isn't it? It's not a criticism. But I could see that the way it would be going for me is that would be my my life, really. And if I, I was at a stage, I was sort of eight or nine years qualified, so the next stage would have been partnership. Uh, and actually, it sort of ramps up at that point. Uh, you know, the requirements as far as fee income and all those things just got greater. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I... I also, my wife had a couple of years before changed her own career. She used to work in a hedge fund in the city and um, she retrained to do sort of childcare and subsequently has gone into works in the school, um, the school that my daughter was at actually. So so it was, it was great to have a supportive partner. I think that was a big part of it too. She'd gone through something similar. Um, but being the risk averse lawyer that I was, I wanted to take a career break rather than say, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, so I took a career break and then did a few things, screenwriting course, uh, I worked for a charity as well. And, um, and I did a foundation year in counselling and psychotherapy in, in London. And uh, it went from there, really. I, I didn't, I've never particularly looked back. There isn't anything I miss. 
uh, about the law. I was going to ask you actually whether you um, did you did you enjoy being a lawyer at all? Well, uh, did I enjoy it? Oh, it's not. It's quite you know. It's quite hard to remember if I think back whether times I enjoyed. Um, you know, there were some nice people that did it. So that, but that wouldn't necessarily be about the law. We had because it was project finance. You would do like a project for sort of eighteen months or two years, perhaps even longer, and then you would have something called financial close which is when all the documents that had been negotiated mm-hmm. for those couple of years all had to be in a room. So sort of four or 500 documents. That, I would say, it was the culmination of something. It was, there was a celebration once it completed. It was a very stressful process getting everything together. But I, I would remember those days, but they were very occasional. Um, but so, you know, people would hand around a glass of champagne and it would be acknowledging an achievement of something that happened for a couple of years but of course in those sorts of environments as well it's about the next project um so they would have been few and far between they would have been few and far between yeah okay so you you had this this career that um that you found useful and found some things in it that um that you found serving you but ultimately it, it didn't match with what you wanted long-term in life, there was definitely some things that, that you were looking at thinking, um, <clears throat> this is not where I, I don't want to work weekends my whole life. This is not what I want to necessarily be doing. Ended up taking this career or this, this course, um, in, in psychotherapy and counseling and, and kind of, it kind of just took off from there and you, you, uh, found that an interest for you and, and jumped in, jumped into that route. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, it was very much, I suppose I, I sort of look at people in terms of needs and things and there is, you know, the need to survive and stay alive, which of course law took uh, care of, uh, the, the kind of rewards and drives, goals, money, uh, material status, that kind of thing, uh, uh, that it would, it would have taken care of those needs. But as far as the more connection with self and others, uh, love of self and others, meaning and purpose. Uh, uh, you know, there's definitely something about being there at six o'clock in the morning, having to being there till eight o'clock in the evening and not being at home at weekends. It would get in the way of relationships with self and others. And some people yeah. will do that forever. And some people find that not easier than others. Some people won't mind that as much as others. But for me, uh, I guess the importance of being the father, husband, friend, family member I, I wanted something that balanced things m- more in life and um, certainly uh, um, when I got into the process of training and then uh, you know I'd start to do placements I think the, the second year third year I was able to start a practice and with those things uh, it, you know it, it there was never a moment at which I thought oh gosh this isn't for me at all it just felt like a very sort of natural uh energy thought feeling behavioral energy going into something that i'd been lacking uh, i suppose in life uh, so yeah it just it, there was the so yeah, it sounds was, like yeah. it was um sorry to interrupt you. It, it sounds like it was a, a positive experience almost from from the moment you decided to look into it and throughout the training process and everything it, it was um well was there any negative side to it <laughs> well there would have been um Certainly, I mean, I, I'm going to mention this in other places, but there were certain things on the course that I didn't quite connect with. Uh, you know, there are course requirements that need to be met, essays that need to be written. Um, so uh, so I sort of had to connect with them <laughs> in some ways. Uh, you know, there's, of course, that authenticity, congruence being so important. 
Um, there were times, I suppose, which I was just thinking I need to qualify in order to do the thing that uh, I want to go on and do, which would have been a therapist in private practice. Uh, so there were occasionally things on the course as I was thinking, oh, is this what I need to think in order to practice as a successful therapist? Because some things didn't quite mesh with how I saw myself in the world. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember first starting out seeing clients, you know, when you have two clients or three clients and, and one person leaves, that's a third of your practice. So those uh, those things from an anxiety point of view, uh, that, that, you know, those were a, a, around for me, definitely. I feel much safer, and much more comfortable now. I most often have a couple of people waiting in terms of therapy. So it isn't an issue now. But for a period of time, I would always worry a bit when somebody ended. Um, yeah, and generally, I suppose, uh, running your own business is a very different thing to being within a large organization like a law firm. It, uh, everything's down to, to me. And I guess, you know, when I talk about people going into the profession, looking to other people to, uh, to, to know what their stories were like and what their experience is like, I wouldn't have had anybody who I knew that had made that change. I, I knew some people that ran businesses, I suppose, but, um, so there is something very much which I, I, I notice about uh, becoming, a, you know, the training to be a therapist and being a therapist is you do have to be quite self-reliant in some ways. A lot of my work as well has been in trusting other people too and uh, their views and opinions. But that would have been something that came a bit later. I was used to being very much a sort of self-regulator, which actually probably works uh, okay from the point of view of what I was doing. But you know, there are, there's no right or wrong answer necessarily to, to lots of things that happen in therapy, lots of different views. I remember when I first started, maybe a year after I qualified, there was a difficulty with the client, you know, very, rarely, but, and I, I took it to someone and they, and I was thinking, oh, I'm not sure this should continue in terms of the therapy. And then the person I spoke to was very senior said, oh, I think you should see them three times a week. Now that's very unusual that there would be that disparity between what I, how I would experience something and what somebody else was saying. But if I look at uh, th uh, th that kind of thing, because I came from the law where there's a right or wrong answer generally. So being somewhere where there isn't really, um, and it, it, you, know, you have to trust yourself, but also uh, bring things to other people. Those, there, was, there were ongoing challenges in that way, I would say. Yeah, that's, a, that's something that'll be interesting, I think, for our listeners. So obviously, um, quite a few of our listeners may be thinking about or have, have, have been in therapy. And, and something that you mentioned there is, is obviously supervision. So th this is a difference. We've talked about this a couple of times. So uh, in the US, therapists don't have to be in supervision. Once they've got their license, they're, they're kind of free free to do whatever they want or something like that um whereas here we have supervision so anybody who's seeking uh, a therapist or seeing a therapist in the uk they might not be aware that um you know somebody like yourself also has it's not therapy exactly is it but you would take your i don't is know it, how to put it is, is consultation it would more of like consultation you can go to your supervisor and consult with them about whatever whatever um, the client might be experiencing and the direction that you feel like would be best yeah exactly on a sort of uh, yeah anonymous basis in terms of the client bring bringing clients to 
uh, your supervisor to, to get their view on things. So it's often things that are, are, are difficult or something has been brought up personally, I suppose, if the with the client. Also, though, generally, if you're looking at, you know, running a private practice, if that's what somebody's doing, I would talk to my supervisor about what that's like. So things generally, how life is generally, I've just gone through reaccreditation. Uh, and there's a process there, which isn't client related, but you can bring that to supervision too. So I guess it's, you know, there's definitely an overlap between personal and professional because also what's happening, I mean, most personal should be taken to therapy, but um, there is an overlap between the two. That's one of the nice things about the career. Whatever helps personally helps professionally. Things are going well professionally helps personally. But uh, yeah, supervision wise, in the first five years after training, I think that you have to, there's a requirement, this is for UKCP, I think for every five client hours you have, I think that's right, uh, it's an hour of supervision that you have to have. I'm in my second, I've just completed the, the, completed the second five years and the requirements change actually. You don't, I think you can have peer, peer supervision, you don't ha actually have to have uh, a supervisor. So, um, so I think that the sort of more, uh, uh, rigorous requirements do tend to be in the first five years after qualification. But I, I still have uh, supervision uh, for an hour every other week. And I also meet two groups every month separately to talk about, um, yeah, clients uh, as well. So yeah, it's a great thing, supervision, again, because if you're working in private practice, it is quite isolating. Again, working from home, some people will work within, when I first started out, I worked in a clinic in Cobham where there was a a physio and an osteopath and somebody who did eyelashes and so you would always be see another therapist so you'd always <laughs> be seeing people but now i'm at home uh so so supervision is great yes. being able to do that yeah john paul before we get too far off of career change i want to broaden it if we can because i know that that's been a focus of yours is just helping people get to a place where they can make a career change if that's something that they feel like they need to or they're interested in um, in, in your experience in, in talking with people and just focusing on this, um, what, what are people coming up that is wanting them, that is pushing them to think about going into a career change and what is holding them back from making that change? Mm. I mean, generally, um, I would be approached by people who are, who are, I suppose, you know, if I'm talking about needs, the first need that I think we will all take care of is survival, isn't it? And the place, that would be the place of worries and fears and anxieties, very important place, or we wouldn't be alive physically, psychologically. So generally, I suppose people will have been drawn to it. Sometimes people will say that, that they, they, they're very interested in it, that kind of more vocational idea, something inside is uh, moving them towards it, uh, but generally they will be concerned. Uh, they they might be worried about making the wrong decision as far as what they train in, where they train, how they're going to um, pay for it financially. You know how those things will be managed. Can what is it like to get clients? So how do you set up a practice when they have that in mind? So it does tend to be the, I suppose, the worries. Well, is worry is the right word? The questions that they're being curious about that need to be answered mm -hmm. in order for them to feel safe enough to go ahead and and uh, and, pra and practically make the change. Yeah, yeah, because they're all they're all sort of um, you know they're all justified uh, or they're all good reasons to worry mm. <laughs> in some sense, aren't they? And yeah. and you do need to consider these things carefully. And you, you could you could think about this in any area of your life. You know, 
you can kind of weigh up the pros and cons, look at the risks, but there's definitely an element that sometimes um, you do, you just have to take a risk, don't you? And, and you know, may, maybe go with your gut instinct. I, I do think that it's difficult to, maybe, I'm, maybe this is just me, um, I do think it's quite difficult to trust your gut instinct and I wonder it's because, if it's because we're just constantly surrounded by inputs, you know, social media, music, YouTube videos, Spotify, just everything. There's just a wall of noise all the time and, and you know, live your best life and follow your passion and yeah. things like, you know, if you, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life and all. It's just all noise, isn't it? And sometimes you kind of need to cut through that and think, what am I actually supposed to be doing <laughs> definitely i mean i think a, a couple of things i would say uh, you know when i was in the law there was a there was a structured way of doing things you became a trainee you became a, an associate solicitor senior solicitor partner but the thing about therapy and changing career you know are, are you going to be a family therapist going to work be, be employed prison schools private practice and there's different qualifications in all sorts of different places so I think that is that there's a lot of unknown and people could worry about making a choice, making a mistake, I suppose. The other thing that I would say yes. is that, um, that it was actually the doing of it. I know this might sound like a strange thing in some ways, but being with clients, starting to see clients, it sort of developed other pathways, however you look at it. And it's putting more energy for me, I would call it connection with self and others. So, mm -hmm. but, and the more that that happened something starts to get weighted very much more in favor of that. And that kind of pulls you along. So for me, because more energy went into that, which was about trusting myself and other people more, I just tended to worry less. I wasn't trying to manage my anxiety, just the whole experience, I suppose, of being around people that I felt much more similar to, much more like-minded. It, it uh, yeah, it was... Um, uh, the, the the fears and the anxieties sort of f f fell away, uh, didn't fall away. They're always around. That's life. We need them, don't we? Uh, but they were much easier to manage over time. Um, but I suppose you know that 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 lack of a fixed route, I think, m makes people worry. They'd rather stay somewhere potentially where they can is fine, uh, and they can they know what they earn, and they know they know what might happen in the future, and people know them as they are, and it works with their relationships and that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's difficult. It's, it's, it's a, it seems very different to go from, uh, you know, working in, you know, for a business or in, within a corporate career to working for yourself, seeing, sitting in my socks in a, in a therapy, as somebody said, as a client said to me, uh, in, in, in a therapy, you know, seeing 20 people a week and running a business and making an income that way. It's a, it's, it feels like a big leap, but I definitely would say for me, Oh, there was just something about doing it that changes the way I see myself and the world. And it sort of pulls you along, I think. Yeah. I think that's a good point, though. I think that the unknown that you talked about, the, the unknown is probably more scary than than the risks in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Like, like if, 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 even if you don't necessarily um, have 
the direction all perfectly planned out. That whole fear of unknown of where is this going to go? What is this going to look like? How, am I going to be able to make all this money? All of the unknown is probably the scariest piece. Mm-hmm. And and as we're talking, I'm just kind of reflecting back on my career change. Um, so if anybody's listened to our, our podcast over the time, Rich and I both talked about different career changes. And I, I was in the business world uh, before get, becoming a therapist myself, um, selling insurance. And uh, ultimately decided to make, make the switch over, over to social work and, and, and therapy and had to go through that same process. And looking back on it, now that we're having this conversation, there was so many unknowns. I, I think I mentioned in a previous podcast episode, I didn't even know what social work was um, until I started diving in. And now that I have that that retrospection, I can kind of look back. I think what helped me to overcome that fear of, of unknown and what, what is this going to look like and going from a guaranteed paycheck and I'm comfortable here and I know what I'm doing and all of this kind of stuff is um, taking that first step, right? And then just taking that second step and then just taking that third step. It was almost, I didn't know I was doing it at the time, but again, looking back, what I think was successful is that I didn't worry about the end as much, or at least I tried not to, I just was focused on whatever was happening Mm -hmm. in that moment. And then I would figure out the next step next. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if, if, if that's, uh, if that's maybe the healthiest approach, um, towards that unknown, towards walking into all of those fears. Yeah. I mean, there is that can, I suppose it's a way in terms of anxiety, you know, control what you can and manage what you can. I I remember somebody say, it's a bit cheesy, isn't it? But there was something on the side of a bus, I remember when I was in the city and it was a picture of Ryan Reynolds <laughs> and it said, uh, <laughs> this is really cheesy, but he said, I don't expect success. I prepare for it. And um, I just, I quite like the idea in terms of uh, preparing for something, you know, uh, success is a funny word, isn't it? But if you're looking at something like private practice and building one and moving into that world, there are little things you can be doing all the time that sort of sow seeds for that, which is you say would be something that I can do today that's within my control, which is working towards something. I, I think from a personal point of view, I mean, I do have a tendency to anxiety, but for some reason, whether that sort of nature or about nurture as I was growing up, I, I, I have always sort of had a belief that if I want to do it, I'll, I'll do it or be able to do it. Um, and that maybe I've been slightly detached from reality at times, but my tendency when I was growing up or the message that I got from say caregivers is that if you want to do that, do that. If you want to change career, you'll be able to do that. So, whereas I think perhaps some people's anxieties about it and the practicalities, uh, would have been more dominant. So I think there's a personality thing with people. Sorry. I, I wonder whether it gets a little bit more difficult with age as well, because you get, settled into a career yeah uh, you have family mortgage I, I mean I know that when I was younger I was I was quite reckless actually <laughs> with with jobs that I had so I used to, to to do contracting as an electrician and we'd go on a certain building site and um you know we'd be paid a certain it, it was like price works you'd be paid a certain amount of money to to do this and, and basically if you weren't treated well or or the money wasn't quite good enough you would just leave and go off somewhere else and you know even at that time I I had a a young child but I was just yeah I think it was just age I kind of for some reason I didn't worry about money I just knew it would kind of work out but I suppose Mm. as you get a bit older and a bit more settled um 
yeah, I, I think it's more difficult for people. And obviously, we're not just talking about a transition to being a therapist here. We're talking about anybody's um, uh, potential career changes, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, as far as, you know, people have working with a company and sort of certainty of salary, kind of know what your day is going to be like, can't control the external environment as far as recession or anything, but lots of things are, you know, more more predictable, more more certain. Um, I think, you know, even when people ask things about the career change, they might say, can I earn X amount of money? Uh, would you think, yes, you can. But, uh, you know, I would know some therapists that would, when the BACP did a, a, a check of what, the, what people earned as therapists, some people earn very little. And then there are therapists that would charge £10,000 a weekend for an addiction weekend. You know, it is... And, uh, and also, it, it depends on where you are in terms of the kind of wealth of your the area that you're in. Uh, so what I mean is there isn't a, yes, you can certainly do that. There, is the, there isn't that answer. I, a lot of it relies on a belief that you can, I would say. Personally, yes. I've always thought, well, if that's what I need to do, I will be able to do that. Anxiety is along the way. Uh, but if somebody else asks... I just think, well, you know, it could be this, it could be that. It depends on what you put into it as well. But if, And, of course, where yeah. you live. I mean, I think for some people starting up their private practices at the moment, I am on some Facebook groups because of, I mean, it's getting a bit better now, but the way the cost of living crisis has been, some people are struggling. Depends on how many therapists are in your area as well. Uh, so all those things, yes. unfortunately, a lot of it's going to rely on trust of yourself that is going to work mm. out mm. and um perhaps some therapists quite a lot of therapists tend to be a bit more anxious or we maybe that's one of the things mm -hmm. that brings us into therapy in the first place yeah you know um yeah 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 definitely yeah yeah i read an article this morning on substack and it's by a guy what's he called alan schwartz he's called i'll, I'll put a link uh to it it's a really good article actually and it's called uh, On Being Neurotic. Okay. And uh, I read through it and went, yeah, I'm definitely neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> I could relate to so much of it. And, yeah. I, and I was reading through it, like, hoping that by the end he would have some uh, some advice to get over neuroticism, but it, it just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose, I, you know, I, I think not to ask it, but, you know, we're probably born with neuroticism, aren't we? And then, and then what you add is, is trust of self and others. And that's that, I do think that's developed in, in, yes. in, in home environments, a lot of it, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, hmm. But I think it's a lot of human beings, natural tendency. And of course the great I say the great thing about it is a lot of clients will be bringing it. So to know what neuroticism or anxiety feels like uh, is is a, is a great mm. thing from the mm. point of view of being a therapist, isn't it? Although I do think, I suppose, yeah. we also need to be able to um, know that we can, to some degree, manage that ourselves as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Would you say, John Paul, would you say you're quite a, because you seem like a very positive guy or perhaps, you know, compared to me anyway. So do you, do you, do you think um, you would bring that sort of positivity into the therapy room somehow? I like the idea of, because there is this concept of toxic positivity, isn't there? And I understand that completely. And I think mm. one of the things that most often happens for people, particularly sadness, actually, uh, which is such a thing that somebody needs to go through. I have a tearfulness as well connected with that. 
I think most often for people, we disconnect from our felt experience of things. So actually to feel sadness, you know, it's a process. People start to cry, they cry, they stop. And then they feel, I know, but would feel better. So there's, there's a release, for example, if you're using sadness, of going through a feeling. Uh, similarly, as I've said, I think with anxiety, fears br bring up very good questions. Anger, brilliant boundary, emotion, something's happening, not happening, that we want to be different. Um, so I am, so I, I'm only thinking, you know, there's this sort of positive psychology ideas I'm quite drawn to. Mm -hmm. is that if, if we stay with anger constantly, anger feeds anger. So we'll go round and round and round. Anxiety feeds anxiety. You know, if you have an anxious thought, you feel anxious, the body says yes. we're unsafe, more anxious thoughts. So I think, I think there's a real balance in the therapy room as well, I would mm. say, between people feeling their fear and their anger and certainly their sadness and also mm. love and gratitude a lot of people would were, are very comfortable talking about their fears, but get quite embarrassed talking about things that they love or, or enjoy. What yeah. what have been told to them during early experience is don't get too excited. You know, it's childlike mm. or overly sentimental to be loving, or what? Or, or if you're grateful, you'll jinx it. You know, those kind of beliefs that yeah. actually prevent people leaning into uh, the, the the feelings that we would like too. So. It's a long way of saying, I suppose, that I think it's very important that people feel their feelings, their fear, their anger mm. in therapy. I, I always also keep an eye on where's the joy coming from, when, moments that you felt love, moments that you felt connection um, uh, as well. So, Because I think what can happen if somebody, for example, is very depressed is that hour, therapists will say very different things about this, or that 50 minutes becomes a continuation of the sort of hopeless, helpless kind of despair type. Uh, and there is absolutely sitting with somebody in that, not trying to change it, or you need to be different because you're, probably, you're going to come up against something there, aren't you? Equally, equally, you know, it can continue and continue and continue unless somebody does start to think about was there a moment where they felt yeah. joy or gratitude? Yeah. Are there things that they could bring into life where they ground their worth and value more or, or the things they wouldn't change about their life. So I'll also be asking those sorts of questions uh, as well mm. sometimes. I've um, never heard that before, actually. I think, I think that's, um, that's some really good advice, actually, which is, you know, think of a moment you felt some love or, or joy. And uh, like you say, it, it can be a sort of perpetual cycle or perhaps you're reaffirming to the person that everything is actually terrible <laughs> yeah exactly. i mean I, I think um actually sometimes mentioning gratitude to somebody who is very depressed mm -hmm. they, they might use it it's got to be careful with it because i think they might yes i know i should be more grateful it's almost used as a way to criticize themselves even more but some but um you know in something like emdr one of the things that they start with is a is a safe place a peaceful place um, I, I remember they did a, com a competent and confident moment, anchor memory. So go back to a time where you did, and that might be really hard for some people who've been depressed for a long time, where you did feel confident. Uh, but that can be as far back in whatever environment. It could be social. It could be on a holiday somewhere. But, but helping people to connect more with those moments, I think, uh, can really change something for people. Okay. The other positive psychology thing I always remember is... When something happens, like like if you have a good experience at work, 
for example, a good meeting at work or client session or proud of your kids doing something, try and stay with that in uh, as much as you can with what it feels like in the body for 15 seconds, at least 15 seconds. Uh, the positive psychology idea, my understanding of it, is that that puts in a, a neural pathway that you can remember. But when mm-hmm. I first started to do that, to to in, enjoy something for 15 seconds <laughs> felt like a really long time. <laughs> Whereas mm. I could. Well, I thought you were going to say 15 minutes. <laughs> no, 15 seconds, where I could easily argue <laughs> in my head for an hour and a half, I'm sure, without even noticing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. One of one of the things, just listening to you to you talk, um, this just brings up this saying that I heard fairly recently is is how many times do we either tell ourselves or other people like oh don't be sad about that or don't be upset it, it could be worse right this whole it could be worse kind of get kind of get over it yeah. thing but on the flip side of that the the funny thing is is we never say you shouldn't be happy about that because it could be better. Mm. It's only it's only in the uncomfortable, difficult emotions to feel that we say it could be worse. And it just, obviously, that just makes us feel even worse than we already it are. It does. And, it, you know, to me, I, I would only ever really hear that in the context of somebody diminishing the importance of their the, what the feeling that they're experiencing. I think somebody's probably said, I like, I like thinking about why... Uh, what I wouldn't change about life, which is in some senses gratitude, isn't it? What wouldn't I change about myself? What wouldn't I change about what's around me? But I would often hear, I know other people have problems much worse than me, so it could be much worse. And mm-hmm. I, uh, that I only ever hear that in the context of somebody feeling bad about themselves, actually. I, I just think it's something that caregivers might have said when somebody wasn't happy to say, well, this person's got it much worse than you. So why don't you put a smile on your face? Or, yeah. So I think, you know, gratitude as a concept, I think is very helpful because it grounds what is, what what I value, mm-hmm. what I, what doesn't need to change. Whereas a lot of distress and shame suggests things aren't good enough. Uh, so I, I think it does a, a very well with that. But also I think it can, that idea of well, there are people in Syria or whatever who are having, I mean, people will say first world problem to mm. me when they come into therapy. Why am I complaining about that? There are people with much worse problems. And the thing that I would say to somebody in that situation is if my fight or flight part of my brain is being triggered by being in physical danger in the Red Sea, if, if, if it's the same part of my brain, the fight or flight part that's being triggered by a fear of my partner uh, cheating on me or, or health anxiety, I've got a headache, believe it's a brain tumor, you know, it, it's, it's the same distressing, horrendous feeling that someone's experiencing. Uh, although, of course, I understand the idea that for, for one person, it's the actual risk is real, if you know what I mean, whereas mm. for this person, uh, an amount of it's imagined, um, assuming that's yes. the case, yeah. assuming it is an imagined yeah. situation. Uh, but it is as it's as distressing. I mean, fear is fear. Why? What? Whatever you're frightened of, it's fear. Whatever you're angry about, it's anger. Um, yeah. 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 While we're talking about all these emotions and anxiety, I don't know if you guys can see it, but my anxiety is rising because I keep getting a notification on our recording that it's not working. Oh, I can't. So, oh, really? uh, I'm hoping. So I'm hoping that it is. I've not. Had that. And I guess. No, I haven't. Yeah. Watched it. It says I, I guess... Don't close the app video recording. So I, yeah. 
to me. Yeah. I, we probably just won't know till the end, and I'll just put that in as a disclaimer for anybody <laughs> that's listening. I have no idea what's going to happen. Okay. So, well, living um, with that. Can I quickly jump or can I can I put you on the spot because this this yeah. question? I don't know whether you'll know the answer to this really, but as we as we've been talking, um, my question would be. Is there a relationship between anger and sadness, and or would they be a similar kind of emotion in some ways? Yeah, I think. I mean, I would always see anger as a secondary emotion, underneath which would be fear, often sadness, a sense of unfairness potentially. Um, so I think there will often be once somebody comes down from anger or looks at what's beneath it there will often be sadness grief loss Mm -hmm. wish that some people yeah often people are angry for good reason because they didn't get something that they they needed so uh yeah i mean i i just i wouldn't underestimate uh, for me in terms of my experience the importance of tears actually because to Mm -hmm. me i suppose fear and anger they're much more the protective part if you're looking more to the more connected part of self and others, trust of self and others, love of self and others, in order to experience that, a lot of people will have to experience a lot of sad. Well, they're all in the same territory, I think. Grief, sadness, yeah. love. We experience grief because we love people. Uh, we, you know, I remember, I can't remember who it was. Was it Alain de Botton or something? Did a, um, a, a video about self, the importance of self-sorrow, which I, I think mm-hmm. would be self, self-empathy. Um, and again, we get lots of messages, people about pity, self-pity, wallowing in it. Um, other people, I, you know, sometimes with clients, if I would express empathy, they would see it as pity. They don't want sympathy. And that what, what is, I think it's all a reject in some ways, what we've learned, they've learned to do is to come away from that more connected place of sadness yeah. and grief and loss. But, uh, but if people feel that they will also feel love. I definitely think if you've cut yourself off from feeling sadness i would wonder how much attachment and love i would wonder how Mm. loving somebody is and what do you think would cause um self-pity generally i know that's a huge question to ask well i mean i i'm i would be interested in i think somebody's probably labeled maybe maybe the kind of hopeless helpless despair type qualities of uh of depression uh Pity, self-pity might have a slightly, maybe slightly sort of angry quality with self. I don't know. But I mean, I think generally something like uh, self-pity or wallowing in it, those sorts of phrases are unfortunately ways that people have disconnected themselves from feeling their sadness. So I would try and bracket those and feel Mm. the self-sorrow. I quite like self-sorrow as a... Mm as a phrase um yeah yeah, yeah. i know uh, brené brown talks this is just going back to something you said before um about asking clients about moments of joy or connection mm. or, or love and um brené brown talks about uh the phrase she uses is leaning into joy yeah and uh, and also the problem of of leaning into joy and, and she does this um bit in one of her stand-up things and it's about I think driving along at Christmas with the kids in the back of the car and having a nice time with the husbands and they're all singing Christmas carols or whatever mm-hmm. uh, she feels the joy and as soon as she feels joy she's like 
oh my god, you know, this is going to end in disaster. We're going to have a car crash and everyone's going to mm. get killed, sort of thing. So, so, so she sort of draws attention to the fact that some people will actually. I suppose deny themselves um, the opportunity to lean into joy out of fear of, of what's going to go go wrong. Oh, well, that the, if you feel it is going to go wrong, that you know that that's been some somebody's don't. Well, it's the jinxing idea, and it's a funny word, but mm-hmm. uh, it would be that if I if I talk about it, if I talk about how much joy and love I experience in my marriage, something's going to go wrong. There's and I, you know, we have that survival part that quest that, that's going to question things, isn't it? So. Those are, those are intrusive. I think those sorts of thoughts we are compelled to worry. Um, yeah, there are things about early experience for lots of people that turn up our tendency to worry. Some people probably serotonin levels are uh, 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 genetic as well, aren't they? So, um, yes. but I think it's a really important thing. I mean, I have to say, from when I see clients, I think I think they have been if they've been to other therapists, they've rarely been asked whether they have experience joy and what what gives them joy that's not a question because mostly what people bring is the things that distress them and as i say i i think it's so important to think about if i am arguing my head for half an hour why what is perhaps it is sadness beneath it or fear or and to get the message from it then it goes for me you know it it, is trying to give a message so we have to experience it but um certainly uh I also think, right, that's done now. And now what can I, I would bring back a memory that was something joyful. I'll go to a beach with my family or something in my imagination. And uh, yeah, I just think those things are really, are really helpful. Um, and of course, lots of careers are based on people trying to solve the next problem. You know, I was a project finance lawyer. What was I doing was going through a project agreement, looking for problems in the document and then somebody would come back and argue about the change that I'd made so and it was a slightly confrontational situation and I have to you know sort of bend the knee or not or I have to win or not those dynamics I mean we're talking about fear and anger but that sort of competitiveness as well in the world winning um, Mm. you know not bending the knee those sorts of things as well they're not about joy they're not about that Brené Brown I guess feels that because she feels connected to her, to her family in, in that moment. Yeah. She feels part of something bigger. And I think the trouble with lots of careers as well, if it's, you know, goal focus, what's going to be next, they're all, they keep us in a particular part of self, which is not about joy or love, of course. Mm. Whereas most people would say, if they, I don't know, it sounds like it's terrible, isn't it? But if they had a year to live, what would, you, what would most people do? They would spend time around people that they love. That's the thing that most people would say is most important to them. Yeah. Would generally be yeah. other people. Yeah. Mm. Speaking on speaking on this this feeling of of connection and joy and love. If you're okay with it, I, I would love to transition to a piece that I I'm curious about, and I know Rich is too. In one of your YouTube videos, um, you talked about being bisexual, people that are bisexual and living in a heterosexual relationship. Mm. And so I, I watched those videos and I know, I know Rich, Rich has as well. And I just loved your, your explanation behind um, what people might experience being in, in, in that situation. And would you mind, would you mind just kind of recapping like what that would be like? And um, yeah. just so that came from that was Metro. I did an article in the Metro or contributed to an article. I think it was around the time, that Heartstopper was out and there's a guy in that, the actor's name is Kit, I can't remember his surname, and I, he was, I think he 
came out, so to speak, as bisexual. Mm. So there was a bit more talk about it. And the Metro wanted to do an article on it, I think, for Pride Week at that time. So they asked for a contribution. And I did notice afterwards that I, I, I tended to do a video that followed the kind of things that I sometimes that I'd written and contributed to. So I thought, well, I'll, I, I think I looked for the article afterwards and I saw that Google, uh, if you search, for example, bisexuality in a straight relationship, had taken a chunk of it out, as they do, and put it at the top of their page. So if that's what you're look, if, if you Google that, you found the excerpt from Metro uh, that was something I contributed. And I thought, gosh, that's, there is so little in some ways written about it that that was, put, that was pulled out by Google to, you know, to put to put there. And then I, I saw there were very few other articles. So I followed it up by recording a video. And, um, and it would have been, along with the career change ones, and one about um, the great things about being a therapist, I think it's the most third watched video. And I think the reason for that, I would say, I can't remember the exact statistics, but what interested me about it is that it, you know, the, the vast majority of people who would identify as bisexual are in relationships with people of opposite sex is that so and also a, only quite a small proportion have told the people around them that that's the case and that sort of interested me uh, about the effect that that would have i imagine you know the vast majority of people are in relationships with people that they love but it is interesting what happens to that particular part whether that's uh, you know that would have an emotional that would fall in love with this person of the same sex sexual contact with somebody of the same sex and of course some people will be having sexual contact well they'll work out all sorts of ways and perhaps even within the relationship too but um it's sort of connected with loneliness as well and that idea of that that we tend to associate loneliness perhaps with not having people around us and i the idea when i did the video on loneliness i was thinking about how parts can be alone too and um and i and it just made me think about that part for people because one of the reasons i think it was a very well searched or found and watched video is again it's sort of been uh, I guess people get into opposite sex relationships and it com might complicate things to, to talk about it. So as is the case with lots of what happens on YouTube, people will sort of search for things that's looking for a connection, that's looking for uh, not to be alone anymore in some ways. And, um, and I think that is, seems to be what's happened with the video. Do you think uh, it's... So, um... yeah. Um, do, do you think there's a kind of generational thing here at play? So, for example, younger people, do you think they're more likely to be open about uh, yeah. being bisexual? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, uh, again, I'm not great with the statistics, but I mean, I'm sure it's between 30 and 35 percent, I think, between sort of 16 oh, wow. and 18 year olds will now identify in that way, uh, you know, and my daughter's 18 and, you know, have the people that she knows, friendship groups, there'll be people that identify in that way. And it's I'm, I'm, I mean, she's in a particular environment as well. I'm not suggesting there's no stigma at all or people don't get any comeback, but it's very, it's very different now, I think, to certainly when I was at school, uh, which is a great thing. But there's also, it's not just about not telling people, but it's also if you are in a relationship and your partner does know, there is still a part potentially that does not have full expression in terms of a romantic or sexual relationship with somebody else. I mean, you might say, if you're in an opposite sex relationship, there is still a sexual part 
the need or want to have sex with lots of people if that somebody does not get expression either. And that's something that people, you know, li live within that environment. But um, yeah, so mm -hmm. it's been it's been uh, really interesting from from all points of view. And uh, yeah, uh, I would get people contacting about it. People that have lived in, uh, as I say, opposite sex relationships and um, just describing their experience, they tend to do tend to be older. So, uh, but saying what it's like and how they've how they've dealt with it. But it's yeah. another, you know, it's another great thing about the YouTube channel and the way it can connect people. People criticise, I suppose, social media or can, and I can understand why that's the case. If social media is in the hands of anger or fear a lot, or competitiveness or comparisons, then it can be distressing for people. But in this sort of situation i think again not somebody doesn't even need to comment they don't even need to have a like but they watch something and you know that part feels less alone so yeah. i'm you know very pleased with what's happened with it yeah i think it's a really helpful video and and also i mean obviously we're talking about uh, sexuality here but it, it could you could relate it to other parts of your life i mean even even seemingly trivial parts of your character that you might keep hidden um, it's all about that sort of uh, self-actualizing, isn't it? And and trying to come to terms with who you are. And maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's a lifelong journey that, that we're on. Yeah, um, and I think there's two parts to it. It does with, uh, you know, anything, isn't it? There's sort of intrapersonal, so somebody's own relationship with it, and also uh, interpersonal, so the extent to which is brought into relationship with other people as well. And um, you know, there's the concept of coming out and things, but I, the thing that I was saying in the video, the videos as well, is that you know it, it's not, it doesn't have to be as as, as binary as that in some ways. So certain people can be told or not. Some people won't tell anybody, but the fact they acknowledge it to themselves, watch a video about it, read a book about it, you know, that is all up to someone, isn't it? What what yes. uh, yeah. what makes that part of them feel? Uh, uh, connected in whatever way that yeah. is that you know even just to know that there are other people with similar experience and to be don't have to be going onto a group every week to talk to people but for some other people they will need and want to do that they'll want to be talking to people regularly who have lived experience of it too but i think that's the great thing is we can choose and that was one of the points that i was making as well is there's no right way to do it for for, for a person but but i think the important thing is anything and as you say it's any part of self that we might be ashamed of uh, there's going it's going to be a draw on energy it's going to be something mm -hmm. if people have fear around something that's all conflict internal conflicts take energy because we are we're not there's not that alignment it's not all working together and of course conflict are part of life short term versus long term love hate they're all a part of being human, aren't they? But some a, a yeah. lifelong internal conflict between something that's an intrinsic part of self and could be to do with love, something as important as love, uh, is, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the more that people can be connected with that part and, then, and any part that they're ashamed of, the, the, the better. I mean, it's a lot of what therapy is, I think, isn't it? People will say, yeah, there's, um, there's a strange paradox here. I don't, I don't quite know how to put it, but in some ways, perhaps we keep parts of our self hidden. Uh, we edit our personality depending on the people that we're, we're with at work or different friendship groups or, or family um, in order 
to be liked, I suppose, and yeah. to fit in and to think that we're going to have an easier life in some sense. But the, yeah. the paradox is, is it actually, as you say, it's a drain and, you know, it takes this energy away from you. So yeah. it's actually not, it's not a good, well, I'm not saying it's not a good path. It is, it's not necessarily going to, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> let, let, me, let me jump in here because I, I, I'm having the same the same thought as you. And one thing I think I'm starting to recognize is there's a pattern of this whole conversation going all the way back to the to the beginning when we're talking about um, changing careers and and then feeling difficult emotions and, and allowing them to be fear, anger when they're there um, to this idea of. of not expressing all parts of yourself. All of these things are related to connecting mm-hmm. to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like finding the career path that that is uh, that is meaningful and important to you versus the career path where there's safety and money and security that, that doesn't doesn't always provide connection. And then and then further connecting with these difficult emotions of fear and sadness and and all of these things and and build, bringing that part of yourself out to you know, to your sexual orientation or anything that is, that you've, that you've hidden for protection or for fear or for, for whatever reason, it just hasn't, you haven't felt uh, in a place where, where you can be open and express that. And to me, there's this underlying message of how powerful and how important self-connection is Mm -hmm. despite society's um, pushing you in opposite directions. Definitely. And also, I think that there is, the, and the other part of it is others, isn't it? Because, as I say, for some people, their journey would not be uh, anybody. It doesn't have to be, I don't think, to tell another. Or perhaps to watch a video on, on YouTube is somehow, you know, people have a parasocial relationship with with people yep. on YouTube or podcasts, although they don't speak to them if you're not doing it. Um, but uh, I think right. there is something important as well. If somebody would believe whatever it is that other people won't love them if they tell them, somehow, someone, I think it, I think it is important to, whenever that might be, it is important to bring that into relationship and to have the experience, of, and that could be a therapist for some people, couldn't it? And to have the experience that, that people still love you no matter what that is, I think is one of the most powerful things that can happen. So, but I think a lot of people will have a lot to do in terms of that internal relationship with it. Um, yeah, but it's, it is always g- g- good to hold in mind, I think as well, the part that other people can play. Something like mm. sexuality, you know, sweep across telling everybody at the uh, barbecue locally, you know, it's just maybe some people would do that and everybody will, you know, ideally it will be well received. But I don't think it has to be, uh, everyone but it, it i no. think just one person uh, that you yeah. trust and to see that it's okay and life carries on as normal um the other thing about bisexuality which i thought was interesting it was uh, it came up as well because i remember when i was training and i did say it in a video uh that um the supervisor that i had at the time was talking about a, somebody was talking about a bisexual clients said um the bisexuality Oh, gosh, it sounds so terrible when I think when I think about it. I can't remember exactly how she phrased it, but she said it meant that somebody couldn't distinguish between men and women. That it was it was so, as you said, unevolved. But that sort of was the implication. Mm-hmm. And I and I do say at the end of I think the second video, I do think it's important to if you're going to a therapist to ask what their view of that is. Some well, some some somebody might not even want to say for a while, I suppose, but. 
because the thing that, you know, reading about it and that kind of thing that I think is really interesting is like the current view, which I quite like, would be that it's about a potential to love and be in romantic, perhaps sexual love with multiple genders. So what I mean Mm -hmm. is rather than it being sort of problematic, somebody can't choose, it's actually about breadth and and, uh, potential. And those words to me... I mean, however, you you know, they, they also bring, as I've said, the issue of practically if you settle, with, settle down with somebody of the opposite sex, what happens to that part, the expression of it. Uh, but, um, yeah, I thought that was an interesting thing, how that idea yeah. has evolved as well. But if somebody is going to a therapist, I would ask, and that's what they want to talk about. I have to say, I would ask, cause it wasn't that long ago that somebody said they may even have used the word so unevolved or something like that. Things about sexuality, you know, within psychotherapy, certain schools of thought can be really um, pathologized, uh, I would say. It's interesting that you say that because I, I do find there's a lot of clients that I have, and I'm, I'm curious if this is your experience too, that they will ask um, personal questions to me about what is your religion or what is your belief on this or what do you think about this? And um, I, I think... I think that it's important, obviously, as a therapist to, to this is my own opinion, I, I, I might get some pushback on this from other therapists to, to be open and honest and genuine with my clients in, in those scenarios. And for two reasons, one is what, what I think you were just saying is, um, if you have a client who's, who's coming to you for, for certain things, um, to get an understanding of what your belief on, on that is, mm-hmm. um, to know if they, they feel like you can help them through their anxieties or, or stresses around that thing. And then this other idea that there's some connection, some validation that they might not be the only one that thinks that way. Yeah. And I guess, and I guess the third one is even if there is something that you guys might, that you might disagree on. So for instance, um, here in the state of Utah, it's a very religious state and therefore at least half, but probably a little bit more than that of my clients, uh, fall into the predominant religion. And I would say the majority of them ask me my own religious beliefs. And if I fall into that predominant religion and I, I do not, um, but I, but I can be open with them and talk to them about that. And, and, and then that would be the third piece is that they might learn that it's okay to have disagreeing, beliefs and opinions and things. And in some ways that relationship can be therapeutic in and of itself that, that here we are in this room, yeah. we have these different. Opinions. So I guess I kind of rambled there, but my, my whole point to that was, was to your, your question, John Paul of clients might ask, and I personally find it valuable to share the answers to what they're asking. Mm. I don't uh, try to, just be that therapist who's a who's a blank slate and unwilling to to share yeah. or or self develop. I mean, I don't the the whole blank slate thing. I'm not sure I've ever had a therapist who is in some ways. I, you know, I see people at home so people can see my house. They can see all sorts. I I'll, yeah. I'll bump into five people on the high street on Saturday, so they'll see me with my family. I also think a lot of what's communicated with uh, with therapists is going to be facial expressions and all that. I think I probably have a very quite an expressive I think for a lot of us we don't quite know how expressive our faces are in some ways because we can't see them so 
Um, I wouldn't get that many clients who would ask sort of personal questions, but they would know, I suppose, when they come here about a lot of my personal circumstances. But I, I do think I would be communicating if they talk about sexuality or whatever it would be. I'll be communicating in terms of how I respond to what they say, what I think and feel about it. I think it will be quite yeah. clear. It's interesting you say that. It's very timely when you say about spirituality and religion is that with the YouTube channel, I was asked people for subjects that they might want to talk about. Somebody said, um, what about working with people with different worldviews? And they specifically said mm. religion and spirituality. Um and uh, so I've been thinking, I was practicing a couple of days ago, what I would say about that. So it's interesting you say about it, because actually the only time that I, uh, you know, political views, some people talk about their politics, it doesn't really, nothing butts up against what I suppose how I might see myself in the world. And really, fundamentally, it's all listening and empathy and understanding things from their point of view, isn't it? But the the, the, the two times where I would say something has nudged up against things that I would be focused on have been religious because um, this may not worth getting into detail here but uh, you know this concept of connection with self and valuing ourselves and worth and value and self-esteem I have had two separately people who are religious one of them was saying about the concept of original sin and how they're fundamentally mm. flawed so that so it didn't really work with them to to ground their worth and value and say what was great about them and those kind of things, which was interesting. I mean, it's not, it doesn't cause a coming apart of anything in terms of therapy, but it's just, and uh, somebody else, oh, the order in which I would say, you know, our primary responsibility is to take care of ourselves and sort of our dependents and pets and, um, but they were talking about the order in terms of God first, then others, and then self. And I just... That that it 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 just something to be curious about and notice, but I can I could see with religious beliefs how yeah uh, um, that that it, it can sometimes come up against certain concepts I think and it's just how that's managed. Not yeah, I, I mean, what, I think yeah. you both made good points about it, actually, which is, I mean, John Paul, you, you mentioned it in, in terms of somebody's uh, sexuality or bisexuality, it might be worth them talking to the therapist about you know, what opinions do they hold around that. Mm -hmm. And equally, if somebody has, has religious views, um, you know, because a lot of people, I mean, religion, it's like politics, isn't it? It's, it's quite um, contentious mm -hmm. for, for a lot of people. Um, so it might be, you know, how do they feel about a particular religion? Um, because, I mean, you know, if you, if, for example, if you're from the UK, you're probably quite familiar with um, sort of Christian religion, I guess, to yeah. a certain extent. Even if you don't practice, you don't go to church or anything like that, you, you have some sort of familiarity with it. Um, but, yeah, lots of people have quite... Um, well, it brings up their own issues, doesn't it? So it's likely to bring up the therapist's own issues with religion, Completely. potentially. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to a therapist about it that I know, and they're a Jehovah's Witness. And they were saying, so when a client comes through talking about divorce, they believe in the sanctity of marriage. So, uh, and, and they, they, they would not. In fact, she was saying she would lean into more what the client was saying about the divorce in some ways, because she knows about her beliefs about the sanctity of marriage. But certainly, if that if that client was with a therapist who, who you know, was t t twice divorced, and their divorce was one of the most helpful things that happened to them, and they met somebody who they're deeply in love with, and they're going to get a different um, 
that that person that therapist is going to experience marriage and divorce and how much they should work at it so to speak differently i think and um it's just it's interesting isn't it i i think with clients they may see therapists as a if i can't come to you can i go to uh, can you give me some other names but there's all the thing that we are all different human beings as well that come into it with our own values and histories and beliefs and opinions and it's how to you know bring that into relationship with clients isn't it i guess it's just it's being conscious of it isn't it she said that she just is very conscious that that's what she believes and uh does her best not to uh sort of push that frame onto onto the client it's again empathy listening what's their experience what's their experience curiosity um yeah yeah i think as well um and this is something worth knowing for people who are thinking of going into therapy that a lot of therapists will refer clients on if the relationship's not going to work or there's Mm. certain problems perhaps uh i don't really mean differences of opinions but some of the sorts of things that we've been talking about they might just say or as well as well as that if they're not experienced at working with a particular set of problems that somebody might be going through I think that's, would I be right in saying that's quite common that that you could make a referral to somebody else? Certainly. I mean, I, yeah, the, the only thing is that sometimes it can be that something comes up six months into therapy and then, and then there is, okay. there's an ethical thing about not terminating therapy. It's one of the things I was thinking about from the point of view of saying is that nobody's obliged to, they don't have to, if I guess somebody holds views, for example, which are offensive to somebody and it's causing sort of continued disconnection within the relationship a therapist doesn't have to continue working with somebody but that I guess that's someone's own personal process speaking to other people speaking Mm -hmm. with their supervisor talking to the client about it but um yeah I think you know fundamentally I I would say with therapy it needs to more often than not be a connected relationship that's not sometimes when there are rifts so to speak how they're repaired it's how they're repaired can some be the most helpful thing for a client can't it uh to experience that and it'd be okay and come back and on it goes um but i think if there is a consistent disconnection that's really got to be paid attention to uh because whatever needs to happen because it could be i think repeating some some trauma pattern which uh, is unhelpful for people i remember listening to some training by a very senior therapist and she was talking about um, how she had a client who came to see her for three years, week in, week out. The client would criticise therapy and say how angry she was with the therapist. And uh, this was publicly on some training. And I did, it did occur to me, I thought, oh, I don't think I would be there three years down the line. Yeah. But she said that actually it changed and they had, yeah. you know, well, however you look at it, a connected relationship. And I'm perhaps one of the most healing, profoundly healing things that happened for that client. But all therapists are different. We have different levels of sensitivity, tolerance, uh, yes. numbers of clients. So, so, I mean, if you're seeing five clients and that's happening, it's very different to seeing 25. And that, ha- so there's all sorts of factors, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Well, John Paul, I want to be conscientious of, of your time. Um, so we've, we've been at this for a little bit over an hour now. And so, um, if, if you're okay with it, I would like to jump to some, some of fun and random wrap up questions. Yeah. And then before we leave, have you share some of the stuff that you're doing and how people can find you. Would that be okay? Yeah, Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So um, we just have these five rapid fire questions um, that I think Rich may have sent to you before. So number one is um, if you could name one of your favorite accomplishments that you've done throughout your life, and then maybe also one current challenge that you might be going through. Uh, Accomplishments as far as the the therapy or 
any any accomplishment that you're proud of that that yeah that that you are excited about yeah i mean it would be it would be making a a success of uh of the this career i would say so that changing would be an accomplishment i so having the family that i have i wouldn't necessarily yeah. have been equipped with that so being able to yeah have a more often than not loving connected family that would be is a huge uh something I'm uh, very proud of, definitely. But coupling, I mean, that enables the practice and vice versa. The practice helps with that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Challenge. Absolutely. And then, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, and then continuing to, continuing to bring out your humanness, any current challenges that you're, that you're going through that you'd be willing to share? Yes. I mean, uh, there's a couple of things. There is the ongoing, I I love the client work, but there's, there's looking for those things as well that are, you know, bring sort of newness and novelty to, I think it's always important to have those and challenge. I mean, it is challenging with clients, but the sort of newness side of things as well. Um, so going into, for example, doing a bit more corporate training or going back into environments that are kind of corporate environments. And the challenging thing for me there is that in environments there, people are treated a bit more as, in my experience, a bit more as a means to an end than an end in themselves. Therapists being in this environment, supervision with clients, people are generally treating each other as an end in themselves. So it can be quite, I I do find it quite challenging going into these environments where, uh, you know, it's all, it's all deadlines and something doesn't come, things don't come through on time and they're not really worried about what you feel about it or uh, so, so that is challenging. I think it's great to go back into those environments for me because to talk about narcissism, gaslighting in a corporate environment in an investment bank uh, is something I really want to do, but you also come up against people who are, you know, fee earning and, and you're low down on their list. And uh, so, yeah, there's quite an adjustment as far as um, uh, what those feel like, as far as what those I feel like. I bet there's uh, some um, uncomfortable people in the audience at a corporate banking mental health thing when you talk about narcissism. and Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, lo- I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that one. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's challenging. Awesome. All right. Second question is: um, Now that you are in this in this therapy world, do you uh, focus on your own self care, and and what would your favorite activity be? Yeah, I focus on my own self care all the time. Really, uh, I mean, I walk every morning for about an hour and a half. Generally, every morning, I swim three times a week. There's a sauna and steam room as well that I go to. Uh, so those sort of self regulating things, music as well, um, nature. I guess it would be that would be my walk really would be very would be very grounding if that if we're talking about regulating myself that's a long long old walk that john paul an, an hour and a half that's where you're going <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah. i can do about half an hour and then i'm thinking i, I need to get home and, and do some other stuff so that's a, that's a good effort that well i mean i tend to as well be thinking about say an article or something i'm saying and by the end you know mm-hmm. everything is I, I will have sorted something out in my mind about what i'm going to write yes. or say so yeah. so it does it's, it's working I mean, people, and walking. people might say that i don't you know not do it doing nothing or resting or relaxing whatever anybody's doing, even if they're doing nothing physically, something's going on internally, isn't it? So I think that's the, that's what I see about walking for me. I work something out uh, through it. Yeah. 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 All right. Question number three is, um, could you tell us something that you've learned about yourself recently? Yes. Uh, mm, Yeah. I mean, I've, um, there would be, 
there would be that, I suppose, that if I was talking about going back into corporate environments, I don't know about my, my tolerance for things and sensitivity, the importance of that and the difference with that for human beings. Uh, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> that I may have a <laughs> less tolerance in some ways or a greater sensitivity in others. I think that's important with working with clients as well, isn't it? Because sometimes I'll be talking to people and thinking, my goodness, why would you do that or put up with that? But I always have to think, well, everybody's different, aren't they? We're all nature different, nurture different. Uh, so I need to, yeah, yeah, uh, pay attention to that, I think, because, you know, if I talk to somebody in a corporate career and, and I think, uh, and they're very distressed, stressed, anxious, I could, I could easily think, well, don't do that. Come and do this. Why on earth would you carry on doing that? Uh, so I yes. have to, I have to, uh, that's, I suppose, the thing about other people's reality as well. I think it's having your feet in that, that other camp as well, isn't it? And one of your videos, I can't remember the name of the guy, actually, but he worked in some sort of business or sales or something. And he was also a, a family, well, a couple's therapist and, and, a, and a therapist. Yeah. And he he uh, stayed, I think he was in banking, actually. I think he worked yeah, in Robert, banking. And he, Robert it, Cummings, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, and he said it was good to have the two things because you're still in touch with that real world, I guess. And so mm. that struck me as something that I, I imagine that's quite important, yep. and something that you could easily, you know, you could get in this stuck in the bubble of therapy, couldn't you? Where everybody's caring and listening, and you know, you know, looking out for each other, and yes. then you go into a bank and you get eaten alive. Yes, but also I don't mind going back into a bank where they where they are treating you as a means to an end and saying things mm-hmm. like you don't seem to be valuing what I feel about this. I quite like, that. <laughs> um, and if you don't, I'm not going to do it. You know, I don't. That you yeah. know, those sorts of things are, yeah, are, 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 are I'm yeah. Not, I, I quite like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Number four is, do you have a favorite mental health uh, resource that, that you would care to share with anybody that's listening? Yeah. I mean, for me, I'd might be a bit of a cliche, but it would be uh, a resource wise. I did use insight timer quite a lot. Uh, it's, yeah, uh, okay. you know, the app, which has got anyway, lots of bi- binaural beats, you know, sort of music or body scans, that kind of thing. But generally resource wise, again, I know it's a bit cliche, but it would be nature for me. If I'm, if I'm not feeling that great, sunset sunrise go for a walk rivers those kind of things i know and that's a natural resource well not everybody's near uh, those kind of things i suppose but i would that would be the thing i would go to that would be the thing i would go to definitely yeah mm. it's, it's funny great. isn't it how uh, nature has become it is because i'm the same i i'm i like going out for walks every mm. day i feel like i need it i like going into the forests and stuff like mm. that um, but it has become sort of a cliche, and and it's something that I mention on the podcast every single week. You know, a walk in nature kind of thing. But you can't get away from it. it is it is good for you? And as far as I'm concerned, that's where we should be. Yeah, and I think it is that sort of natural. If dopamine is the right chemical, the more that that can be brought into life, uh, I th- I think the better for people. We'll tend to yeah. do it with other behaviours and subs. Oh. We'll tend to do it with other behaviors and substances otherwise. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Final question uh, and the most random one is, uh, what is your what would your spirit animal be and why? Okay. Well, you might say that's random, but I, I do. I went to a transpersonal college and I sometimes I, I do remember when I said I didn't connect with an amount of things mm-hmm. that were happening on that college. I remember being in the client writing room and I heard somebody talk about their spirit animal being a goat. And it was one of those moments years ago where I thought, oh, I'm just not sure. 
if I'm in the right place. But, but, I, but things have changed over time for me, you know, coming away from law, getting more, I think, connected with nature, those kind of things. I then found myself, you know, doing a walk, that walk over a bridge, and I noticed some kingfishers going backwards and forwards. So they're out Googling kingfishers, and, uh, and um, they represent balance, um, hmm. which... Uh, which I thought was amazing, and actually, interestingly, a, a balance between I think that I think the Chinese see them as a balance between emotion, emotional well-being, and material wealth. Oh. So, okay. I, and I thought, my gosh, in some ways, that's what being a therapist in private practice is about: is marrying more emotional well-being, but certainly, you know, other things in life need to be taken care of too. So, I really like that um, uh, balance. So, my wife bought me a. A metallic kingfisher, which is in my, uh, ah. which is in my therapy. Well, room. I was going to ask you whether you had a, a huge tattoo on your chest of a kingfisher. <laughs> it's only a matter of time, I'm sure. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh. You know what's funny is um, I'm, I'm never sure about that question. I always feel like it's it's completely random and weird, but we get some fun stories with it, and I, I love that that kingfisher story. I, I did not know that, and I'll probably be doing my research here in about ten minutes as soon as we're done. Yes. And just <laughs> to finish off on it, I know we're finishing, but the strange thing was my dad died a couple of years ago, and I remember in his ha- in his house, well, in their house, my family home, they had st- sounds a bit bad, but start taxidermied kingfishers. That, that now they? Uh, it was, they were in a glass thing, two of them. And I was making that connection, actually, because my dad died. I, we cleaned out the house. My, family, my daughter did not want stuffed kingfishers anywhere near the house. So something else <laughs> happened to them. But I thought it was really interesting. It was like a full circle thing, that they were in glass. They were not moving. But there was something about them that must have appealed to my dad, I think. And um, mm. he ran his own business, actually. And, uh, and now they are alive you know, I see them in the in the wild. So mm. there was um, there was just something about it which uh, had, you know had some meaning for me. So you know, I, if spirit animals help people, and for me, it makes me feel more. It's a sign of being more connected to what's around me. I think making yeah. meaning of something. So uh, yeah. What happened to the person who was a goat? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where they are now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh that's great. Yeah. All right, John Paul. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on. I want to give you a chance to um, share uh, your, your what you're doing and where people can find you. And, and if anybody else wants to look stuff up, um, let let them know where they can go. Great. Yes, thank you. So um, I'm on all sort of LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you uh, just Google John Paul Davis, actually my website, if you, I mean, good John Paul Davis therapist, it would take to my website. It's this trusted place is the, is the name of the website. But, um, and then I are putting a lot of energy at the moment as well into the YouTube channel, which if you put John Paul Davis into a YouTube search, it will come up with my channel, I think as well. And there's a link yeah. to the podcast there too. So yeah, that's yeah. pretty Congratulations on your YouTube channel seems to be growing very rapidly at the moment. Yeah, seems to be, which is good. Yeah, I think also the kind of November, December, January, February, you know, people looking for that career change and and also well-being. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely worth checking out. 